0: So, amen. Praise the Lord. That's a hard act to follow. I, I guess I better be bringing my A game today, especially what we got to talk about. You know, because we've been in Daniel. We did Daniel 8 last Sunday, and then alternating that with a with a with a uh, kind of a mini series on grace. And this is a subset of that on the hard work of grace. And I'm working into that just exactly where we're at as a church. And you know, it's not it's not an easy. Maybe specifically today, some of it's not easy necessarily to hear. So uh, so look, if you pray while I'm preaching, God will craft a word and give you what you need. So go ahead and stand, if you would, again, just for a moment, get the blood flowing, bump elbows with your neighbor, and let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, I thank you today. Lord, the life of this church is on display from the moment Somebody pulls in the parking lot. They can see the life of this church on display. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful (laughs) when they walk through the lobby. uh, If things are a little chaotic, it's not big enough for what we need. Mm. Um, We're ashamed of that. God, I'm ashamed of that, that in 10 years here, I have not led your people in such a way that we'd have all the facility space we need for what you want to do and especially do with our kids and especially do with our, our, our youth and uh, so lord i pray you'd help us come correct let let me start correcting that today let's look into your word together let's find out exactly what we need to be doing as a church and let's let's just lock arms lock wrists not only in prayer but in practical ways that are that are going to get that job done so that you can continue to bless us even to do more we ask it in jesus precious name amen, amen. thank you. you may be seated in the lord's presence and if you have a, have your bible and you turn uh, to the book of first kings Chapter 17, 17th chapter, 1 Kings, and you know, there was a couple of guys, uh, Bubba and Jake, and every year they would charter a plane to Alaska, and they'd go on an elk hunt uh, together. And uh, so this year, when uh, the pilot returns, then Bubba met him, he had a smile on his face from ear to ear, and he said, man, we had a great hunt. Me and Jake, we both bagged two elk apiece, and the pilot said, man, that is incredible. But unfortunately, the plane can only fly with the weight of one apiece. So you've got to give two away. And Bub and Jake, I mean, they were just instantly infuriated. And they're like, man, we are paying you the money. I mean, we, we know you can do this. And, you know, you, you have agreed you've got to fly us out of here. And he did the weight calculations again. He wasn't really happy. We said, OK, uh, OK, we'll do it. About 15 minutes into the flight, the engine started to sputter, and he gets the plane on a glide slope, because he knows what's going to happen, because then the engine stops, and they survive the crash landing, and uh, they're a little bruised up, and Bubba gets out, he kind of dusts himself off, and he asks Jake, he says, man, do you have any idea where we are at? And Jake said, yeah, we're about a mile from where we crashed last year. <laughs> I don't see why you didn't get that, because... So, some people are slow learners, and sometimes we crash because of what we will not give away. And we'll crash just because we won't give away. And, you know, we're like the Pope and the Dalai Lama, and we're very transactional about our relationship with God. We're, we're like some of the people on, I mean, to, tune into Hillsong Channel, TBN, and yeah, you get some of the Word of Faith people. It's very transactional, God, if I do this, then you got to do that. And grace is the most confusing doctrine in the world to a pagan Roman or to a Jew alike because it is totally grace is totally non-transactional. And while grace and works cancel each other out where salvation is concerned, God gives you grace for a purpose and that purpose is to work with him in ministry. And only the Bible is going to teach you how to factor in suffering and even denial as actual factors in God's grace. So Acts 14, 26 says, and then sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. That's the hard work of grace. 2 Corinthians 6, 1, we then as workers together with him. Okay we've received the grace and we're working with God. Now we're begging you we beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. If all you do is receive it and you don't work with it that's vain. And that's what I mean by the hard work of grace. So now I've, t- I've taken on the task of uh, t- trying to lead us and guide us in the, in the months ahead and the things that we can do. I mean, coming back after COVID, even after making the changes we've made and turning the gym into a Gymnasium and doing all of that. Um, you know, we still had no space. We had no space on Sundays. The kids were in a bad condition. We had no space for the youth, really no space, pra- practically speaking, for the college and something had to give. And, you know, God has surrounded us by the school, and they're going to take care of our parking already. we got a lot that's kind of close to us over here. Um, but uh, my understanding is they're going to knock down that building, and they're going to build parking right up to our parking lot, practically. So, okay, that, that takes care of our parking, finally, for all of you that park along Maka Avenue and, and 19th Street and all those places. So, all right, uh, you know, the school's taking care of that. We need to handle up on our business regarding the facilities. So our facilities now need to facilitate. And so I came up with an idea at the end of last year, 4,000 square feet. That's what we need. Uh, we got to push the adults off Sunday because something's got to give. So i got to go off Sunday service times until we can get this done, get this built, go into that. Uh, It will also, you know, Lord willing, expand the lobby. Give us an, another entrance here into the Sanctanasium. I mean, just, you know, for, we're thinking probably a million dollars. That's, you know, that is really pretty good. We come up pretty good with that. But in order for that to work, we've got to work. There's some things we've got to do, and this gives me an opportunity to show you how to discover, and this is our thesis for today's study, how God wants your prosperity to match your spirituality, and he wants your finances to match and be as strong as your faithfulness. So grace always involves giving in order to resource biblical living. I'm going to prove that to you from the book of Philippians chapter 4 which is there on your handout sheet. But don't start at the first verse. Go to the last one, verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I mean, that's a promise. We like that promise so much. I mean, we put uh, put it on pictures. We, uh, We tattoo it on. We love that promise. But the promise does not arrive without the work of a premise. So back it up. In the Bible, just back, not in the club, back it up in the Bible. Verse 15, verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when, I, when the gospel first came to Europe, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, Paul says, and he was only there three Sabbath days. Even there ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I do desire, Paul says, fruit that may abound to your account. So my God shall supply all your need because his riches and glory, they are great enough, but there are principles which define the procedure of God's provision. Nowhere is this better illustrated than in 1 Kings 17, because here is a single sister with a child. So, so, so she's got a child to feed and a challenge to trust God in spite of the, of the shortage surrounding her and the meager supply available to her. And this challenge to trust comes to her from a prophet of God, even though she ain't his religion. She's not his people, she's not his color, she's not his kind, she's not his kin. But the word came to her through the prophet and she believed it. So it's a, it's a challenge to trust. The key principle is generosity. She's got to trust the tangible word of an intangible God and give first out of her small supply to the prophet who is proclaiming. And this is our first point for study. He's proclaiming that if you believe God to the point of obeying him, then he's more than able to take care of you. Now, this text has a ring of familiarity for all of us because no matter who you are, how big your Bible is, how heavy the cross around your neck, the choice is always the same. Do you trust God? Will you give a faith response in your current circumstance? And if you'll press rewind with me in this chapter, you're going to see that even Elijah the prophet, who provoked all these proceedings by his preaching, was called of God to trust God by going to Ahab and telling Ahab that judgment was coming. Look at verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, and that sounds tough. I mean, that sounds like a biker gang. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead. Well, that's Galilee, where Jesus And his homeboys were at. He said unto Ahab, the king, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So God has always promised to bless his people. Unless his people ain't going to trust him. If they're walking away into idolatry, God says, no, homie, don't play that. So if I can just put a pin in this prophecy, I want to remind you, and this is our second point for study. But some promises of God's provision are not inevitable. They are conditional. God is not obligated to bless what you don't allow him to begin. And, and you only allow him to begin if you start with the first fruit to give to him. I'm just saying God is not obligated to favor what you do not allow him to fashion. And he's got a fashion. We're going to see it right here in the Bible. God's not required to bless any person, family, group, or nation. He did not, even to his covenant people. So today I want to give you some principles of God's provision. Anybody want to hear this? Say amen, Alan. Amen. Okay, first off, notice if you want letter A. Our blessings are a function of our faith in following God, letting his spirit answer to the word, and then living out the will of God. Psalm 84, verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and, and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. From, uh, you might as well just say from them that walk according to his word, from them that walk according to what he tells them. So Elijah is sent, like John the Baptist was sent, to warn Israel. And instead of heeding the warning, they vilify him. Why? Because it's always easier to assassinate the messenger than accommodate the message. Hello, somebody. So the mainstream media in Samaria starts working overtime to dismiss Elijah as a fruitcake and a fraud. Ahab and Jezebel do not heed his counsel. So the rain stops coming. But then the days turn into weeks, and as the weeks turn into months, and as the months even turn into years, it becomes a state of emergency. All of this is a picture of what's going to happen in the three and a half years of the Great Tribulation and what the Antichrist is going to do and what, the, what Elijah and Moses will do, as well as 144,000. But okay, this, uh, this historically, uh, uh, executive orders are issued. Elijah's no longer welcome in the city. But even in the wilderness, where God's taking care of him, God says to some ravens, and ravens are, um, you know, they, are, uh, they don't eat vegetables. They eat uh, meat. They eat dead stuff. And there's, you know, you, uh, okay, uh, go to McDonald's, look out on the parking lot. Not one of those birds is going to bring you a french fry. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Whatever they pick up, they're taking off. But God gives him a command, and so they come and bring Elijah food by a brook that is giving him water. Now, that, that makes a way for the prophet, but you need to know that, notice this today, and this is our third point for study. The way God makes for you and the blessing God gives you is not meant as a permanent place of painless provision. It's only a rich, relaxing rest stop of recreation, that you have before your next assignment in ministry. It is designed to recharge you. You don't stay at the oasis. You move out of the oasis and go on. So Elijah enjoys this, particularly after killing 450 of Jezebel's prophets, and and now she's after him. So he's going to hide out for a while, and he rests up, but the day comes when God damns that brook. He dams up the brook. Now, I almost made that the title of the message today, Elijah and a goddamn brook. But I know how you think. <laughs> I, know, I knew you would have snipped that out of YouTube and out of context, and I would have been in a lot of trouble. So God had stopped the rain, but now he stops the river. Verse 8, and the word of the Lord came unto Elijah, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. That doesn't sound right. I mean, a widow has no provision from a husband. So how's she going to sustain me? Zarephath is just a few miles south of Zidon, which was famous for its glassware, and the name means a place of refining, and Elijah knows Zidon pretty well because that's the hometown of his arch enemy Jezebel. Well, I guess that's a perfect place to hide. Why would Jezebel think of looking for him there? It's a city of the Phoenicians uh, who were a, an aggressive, sea-going merchant people on the coast, eastern coast of the Mediterranean. So he is going to be sent to a single mother who's ba- barely subsisting in a suburb of Elijah's hater's hometown. This is a commandment against all conviction. I mean, it's totally counterintuitive. But when God chooses and uses things which do not make sense to you to accomplish his will, then there's another principle of provision that kicks in. This letter B, you need to be willing to act counterintuitive to human logic and give even when you need to receive. Psalm 41, verse 1, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth and now will not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. Obviously, that's a word for Elijah right there. That's also a word for the coming precursor to the coming tribulation, which uh, is exactly what's happening here in our text, to picture that. But we're also able to apply God's timeless truths today because if you are in financial distress and you are not at least tithing 10% off the top, the first fruit of what God has given you, then you're condemning yourself to staying unblessed. You're condemning yourself to staying in financial dysfunction without God's manifest blessing. I'm not saying tithing is a law because if it were a law, you could stop there when you had fulfilled it. Tithing is not a start. uh, Stop, tithing is a start. And it is a start and not a stop because after tithing comes offerings and sacrificial giving and stuff that isn't just for the general budget of the church, but actually ministry you're involved in with other people. And this sounds like such a counterintuitive commandment that if someone's going bankrupt, that you tell them, look, man, you better keep tithing. But you know what? God gives you by grace so that you can do the work he tells you to do. So here's our fourth point for study. If you have any income at all, it is because of God's grace. And when you do not recognize his participation in your blessing, he stops participating. I'm not saying that your income's going to go down, but, but I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll say just what the Bible says. You'll, you will have holes in your pockets. It won't, it won't bring the blessing it used to bring. I mean, God stops participating. Can you blame him? I mean, this is the hard work of grace right here. God wants you to acknowledge in every situation that he is the one who takes care of you, not your employer. And that is why you at least tithe off the top. So the good news is God has not only been where you are, he is here where you are, and he's already where you're going. So so third, letter C, be willing to let God make your comfort uncomfortable so that you are able to counsel and comfort others. Elijah sent from the brook at Kirith, a name which means cutting, to the town Zarephath, a name that means refining. So he's reassigned to a new crucible. I mean, that's, I don't know, this isn't exactly an upgrade. It's not, it's not Holiday Inn Express. And he goes from a place of ease where he's being comforted to a place of engagement so that he can be used for the comfort of someone else, some other family, and not even a Jewish one. But here's the New Testament matchmeat to what we're observing here in 1 Kings. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. God comforteth us in all our tribulation that, that means so that, we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So here we go. Baptism is a tie-in to all in spirituality. But you know what? Really tithing is a tie-in to all in ministry. And nobody's asking you, I mean, I don't even feel bad. All I'm doing is spitting Bible today because nobody ain't asking you to give all your money. Nobody's telling you sign over your social security. I mean, tune into Hillsong, watch TBN, see some of those guys on there. I mean, you're going to think I'm a coward compared to them. All I'm saying is give God a chance to turn your life into his testimony of grace. What glory to God. If you're able to say, you know, I was really in debt. But I started tithing, and God took care of me. I mean, God took, because for one thing, I had to make a budget, because you can't exactly tithe. You don't know what your budget is. And between making a budget and tithing, well, God, I don't know how it happened. Somehow there was more money than than I used to have, and God took care of me. So, Elijah, I'm going to bring you near your enemy's hometown. I'm going to make you totally dependent on a broke-down, half-starving, single mother of a foreign culture, another color, and a different faith. And that is why they used to sing in the old church, God moves in, mis- in mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. So if you're here and you're not asleep, I know just what you're saying. Look, Alan, you got me. I mean, I thought I snuck in here today like bin Laden in a bed. And, and I thought I just snuck in, but man, you're hitting me so hard. I was just about to take out my phone and go ogle myself. And find out what I did wrong what are you mad at me for and I mean I've been praying that God would lead you to pray so I can sneak out but apparently God is answering prayers in the order received today and he is still dealing with a backup request for Pat Mahomes ankle (laughs) as what I've discovered about life Alan is that time heals all wounds I mean except for that dumb tattoo I got and and so a number of setbacks have led me to determine I'm either sitting in Elijah's seat or I'm bowling down this sister's alley, and I don't think I like either one. So, Alan, a word to the wise is unnecessary. It's us stupid people that you need, that you need to talk to today. So don't let me leave here till you show me how can I handle life with the intense needs I face right now, including in my finances. I'd be glad to help you out. Give me a minute to unpack this passage. We'll clothe ourselves with this truth, get our healing. Head out of here ready. Bring somebody with you next Sunday. It's Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper Sunday next Sunday. But right now, I want you to see how to trust God for needed provision. Anybody want to hear this, just shout hallelujah to ya. Okay, I'll even take silence as consent because it is just that important. First off, notice, if you will, that this struggling single sister, she reminds us, and this is number one, our needs can be perplexing. We're not given the benefit of her resume or portfolio of her poverty. She's simply called in verse 9 a widow woman and not a Jewish one. As a matter of fact, Jesus quotes this when he preaches in his hometown synagogue of Nazareth. Now, he'd already moved on as a preacher. His headquarters was Capernaum. He comes back to his hometown to preach in Nazareth. And at first, they're all like, oh, wow, Jesus. Uh, Wasn't this Joseph, the carpenter's son? And then he he points out how Elijah was sent not to, I mean, there were plenty of widows in Israel. Elijah wasn't sent there. He was sent to the Palestinians. And they want to throw him off the cliff. I mean, it's not metaphorical. They tried to throw him off the cliff. So she's desperate. She's destitute. She's got an incredible need, first letter A, because of past adversity. Death invaded the family circle. It snatched her husband away. She knows what it is to cry herself asleep at night. She knows what it is to go through dark days with a broken heart. And I know, I know I'm speaking to somebody in here today because adversity has become your university. And it seems like you never graduate. You are in a graduate degree in the university of adversity. Life can sometimes beat you down. It can leave you with a bitter spirit. It can leave you with a broken heart. And this sister's needs are perplexing because of past adversity. And second, let her be because of present anxiety. Verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the, wom- the widow woman was there gathering of six... And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now that's a sacrifice. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hands. Now watch her anxiety. She said, you know what? Pharaoh knew a lot of gods. We know a lot of gods. We got a lot of gods. Our main god's Baal. We know other gods. Elohim. But... You know, this God of Moses, this I am that I am God, Jehovah God, well, that's different. Know you're his prophet, and I know as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel, a little bit of oil in a cruise, and behold, I'm gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die." So she's gathering sticks to cook a last meal for her and her son and the cupboard is bare and the money is gone and the only thing she got left, a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil and she's alone, she is bitter, she's, she is broken, she is discouraged and now despondent, there is nothing to do but fix what is left and wait for death to show up. Somebody listening right now, you've got that feeling. I mean, between pandemic, protest, politics, and Putin, between layoffs, setbacks, sickness, depression, discouragement, Google is laying off thousands of people, Microsoft laying off thousands of people, is that going to put us in a recession? Maybe your company is going to, Downsize to get right size and and you are not their size and now now you're laid off and betrayal and bills and bad luck and bad choices income going down inflation going up medical expenses unexpected especially if you got kids so our needs can be perplexing and often overwhelming so it can leave us wanting to give up But before you do, can I say something Elijah would want you to hear? Your extremity is God's opportunity. Your end is God's beginning. Because where you want to stop is a place God wants to start with you. So when you give to God first, he's got every opportunity to take that which is left over, like 90% is leftovers, and turn it into enough and then some. So it's our fifth point for study. Even when life does not suit you, your situation is suited for you. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. Look at 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things. Let the church say all things things. may abound to every good work. That is the hard work of grace. Now, let me open a window on that word. Larry Hoffman went to a Goodwill store in Wisconsin. He was looking for a bargain. All he came away with was a $2 jacket in a bin. So he finds his $2 jacket in the bin. He takes it home. When he got home, he found out it was too small for him. And so he took the jacket. He was going to fold it back up and take it back, just redonate it. And, and he noticed there's something in the pocket. And in the pocket was a wad of cash totaling $2,000 in a $2 jacket. I don't know what drug dealer donated that, but I'm just trying to find out which goodwill it was. But, but you know, God allows some situations, some circumstances, some struggle, some suffering that is just like that jacket. And God's purpose in giving you the straight jacket of stress and sickness and the shirt of struggle and the coat of confusion is not that it fits you. It's that it gives you access to the pocket. That is what your work of grace does. Giving money to God that we think we earned. Well, that doesn't fit any of us. Good Romans. But you know what? At least tithing to, to the spot where you are getting God's word and you can disciple other people. Well, that gets you access to God's pocket. And here's what you got to get before you go. God always has something in the pocket. So forget about whether the jacket fits. Make sure you check the pocket. That brings us to the second movement of this sister's symphony, because not only can our needs be perplexing, but this number two, our needs can be provided. Verse 13, and Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said but make me thereof a little cake first. So, so look, you just go do what you said you're going to do. I mean, I don't care. Just even do it for the reason that you said you're going to do it. But uh, bring it, you know, make me a little cake first and bring it unto me and after make for thee and for thy son. Now attention shifts from the issue to accommodating God's command. Do you want to see the doctrine that stands behind this duty? If you do, look at Malachi the prophet. Look at Malachi the prophet. I want to, I wanna, okay, my name is Alan. I'm your friend. I want to help you get the greed out today. Really, literally, that's, that's, you know, that's my only agenda. I want to help you get the greed out. So you need to either answer these arguments and answer these verses with the Bible or else admit that you need to deal with your greed if you're not tithing. I'm just saying. So arguments, Um, Abraham tithed, that was way before the law. Jacob tithed, that was way before the law. Now God puts structure to it in Malachi 3.10. Now that I've got my nation in their place with, with my name in a spot at my temple, well, then bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse We've we built a facility to facilitate ministry, and so there's a spot for you to, to bring the offerings and tithes in, and that there may be meat in my house, because that's how the priests eat, And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out. I mean, there's, there, there is, uh, uh, there's drought language right there. I will pour you out a blessing. There shall be not room enough to receive it. Now, that was a command for them, but that's still a principle for you. It starts before the law. And, you know, if you can't do as much under grace as what they had to do under law, I'm just saying, even when you are in financial distress, God directs you to take your focus off of misery and put it onto ministry. And that gets us to another principle of God's provision, Proverbs 11. 24 and 25. Look, if you don't want to take this verse, why take any out of Proverbs? There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, even the tithe, <laughs> as little as it is, and it, but it tendeth to poverty. This is, the liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that waters shall be watered also himself. And understand, it's not my word, it's not the Old Testament word, No, this is the word of Jesus. Watch Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. So when you support God's work reliably, consistently, and faithfully, then God makes grace start working for you. His grace starts working for you. And you may be unreliable, but God is always faithful, so that's just the way it is. You say, Alan, you know, the word tithe is never mentioned in Paul's epistles. Right. Neither is the word trinity. What's your point? I mean, you tell me which doctrine is more important, you think. And okay, it doesn't say the word trinity either. It doesn't say the word rapture. It says the words that we translate rapture, but it doesn't doesn't use the word rapture. What's your point? To be clear, this church has never asked you to give all that you have. No believer, but no believer who's been born again should grudge God one dime out of every dollar because nobody ever went bankrupt for 10%. Nobody nobody ever went bankrupt because they gave their church 10%. If you withhold what is reasonable, if you withhold what is scriptural, Malachi says God takes it personal. On a principal level, God says, I'm not obligated to provide for you when you are not providing what I am doing through you and through the church that I died for. So I'm not obligated to the promise if you refuse the premise. So you can either leave here today like Ahab or like the widow at Zarephath, but you if if you will be a blessing, God will see to it you get a blessing so that you can keep being a blessing, not by planting a seed, not by making a vow, not uh, by giving $500, but by flat tax, which is exactly the same whether you're rich or you're poor. 10% is 10%, no matter how much money you make. It is all the same. So her attention is redirected to providing for the profit. And what I'm telling you today is that What Elijah says in verse 13 is not cruel. It is compassionate because it is correct. She's providing for the prophet. Man, we got a lot bigger agenda because this church is the last bulwark of faith for your children because you and I both know our society and our schools are casting out Judeo-Christian values. They're casting out any biblical worldview. I mean, we got a lot bigger thing that we got to do together. Our mutual future is locked up with each other. Your blessing as a person and our outreach as a church are tied together because this assembly is Christ's body. So God needs you to be blessed financially so that ministry can keep going here. But if you're not handing back to God as little as 10%, then you're now you're holding out on God and, and you're holding back all of the rest of us. Okay? It's because it's only 10% and it's only money. I mean, I don't, and I'll give you more details Friday. So Friday, this Friday. So I, we knew... We made this decision this last week. We had faith. We knew that the Chiefs were going to win yesterday. Uh, we knew that. Now, the problem was, back when we decided on our 30th anniversary worship night for our 30th birthday as a church, uh, we didn't know when anything was going to be scheduled. But once we saw that, oh, man, the you know, divisional playoffs gonna be scheduled at exactly the same time, we said, okay, we'll move it up to this Friday. So this Friday, what is it, 7 o'clock Friday? 7 o'clock Friday. We're going to have our worship night, praise and worship God for 30 years. And, and I will have a handout of some type. We will give you more information on what we've got to do as a church. We need, we, we need 4,000 square feet. We need it to expand the lobby some. We need it to add a, okay, and if we can do that for a million dollars, all right, I have a plan. It's not a building program, but I'll, you know, I'll tell you how, wh- exactly what we can do to be our own bank, get it paid off within three years or less, and keep going on in ministry. And if that you know, makes you feel guilty, well, I guess that's the way God wants it, because you being blessed is a bigger deal than just God blessing you. Ministry runs on the rails of relationships, but those rails are greased with money, baby Baba. It ain't the millennium yet. Now, it ain't the tribulation yet either, so you got some time. Because here's our sixth point for study. Your obedience is what will kick the promise into effect. Watch, verse 14. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste. Circle that word waste. Neither shall the cruise of oil fail. Circle that word fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Now that is more modern phraseology than the last 10 modern translations. Don't you ever feel wasted? Don't you ever feel like a failure? So she gives bountifully, then she reaps bountifully, so her needs are provided for two reasons. First, because of the message she embraced. We need to embrace the message, verse 15. And she went and did, according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. Down to nothing, she says, I swear, I don't got but one slice of bread. Elijah says, sister, beyond your nothing left is something else. God's got something else. And those who walk in the will of God always receive the promise of God. You take care of this prophet's ministry and trust God to provide. So don't mistake me for those name it and claim it, tag it and bag it, blab it and grab it. Uh, health and wealth, false profit, prosperity preachers, because what I am showing you, what I'm saying, the amount's insignificant. It's only 10%. But God's point is, it's got to be the first. It has to be the first fruit to show that you really trust God. You're going to have to embrace his message Anybody who's saved can be a member of this church. Why would I want to make you a deacon if you're not trusting God like I'm trusting God? I mean, deacons represent. That's what they do for us as pastors. I don't rob God. How would I be a good shepherd if I let you rob God and still function in ministry, still function in leadership? I mean, especially when the amount is so insignificant. Now, I know you don't believe me, so let me prove it from the Bible. Verse 9, God tells Elijah, a widow woman will take care of you. But as soon as Elijah acts on God's words, he embraces the message. He gets to the gate in verse 10. God shows him the widow woman who's going to take care of him. Okay, you missed that. Let me be kind and rewind, because this is the hard work of grace. God sends him with only an indefinite article a single sister single mother but as he moves in obedience to god's mandate god shows him the definite article the single mother so you got to trust god enough to move with the bare promise knowing that as you do what god says he will shift you from the general to the specific he'll shift you from a job to the job. He'll take you from a place to the place, from a blessing to the blessing that comes with obedience and faith. Her needs are provided because of the message she embraces and then second letter B because the miracle she experiences, we need to experience a miracle. Verse 16. and the Now, and let me just say this. I may not be the prophet or the son of a prophet and I do not claim to have any particular special sign gifts but let me just say that if the devil is doing his worst God's willing to fight fire with fire and he's willing to use you to do that and I don't think we should say God can't do the miraculous through us I mean distrust is a sin so I try to never go there. I'm going to trust God for the most he can give. I got a great God. He can do great things. Verse 16, in the bar- barrel a meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil f- fail according to the word of the Lord, which is spake by Elijah. So every day she keeps going back to that barrel. She's digging in. And she keeps pouring out of that bottle. She's tipping and tipping and tipping and and for her family and for the prophet. But when she goes back the next day after emptying the first day, she finds there's still more in there. Okay, wait, I'm going to mess you up. Our problem is we want to know this. We want to know how is it going to get in there in the first place. Uh, Tell me that first, God, before I believe you. Who's going to put it there? What time does it get deposited? And God says, you know, that answer's really a nunyer. <laughs> it's a nunyer. None your business. Your business is to trust that if you do what I say, then I'll make a way. Let me give you one more thing before we go the benediction. God knows what you need before you know you need it. In 2005, there was a retired Methodist minister named Reverend Jones, and as Hurricane Katrina approached New Orleans, his daughter begged them to take and, take and him and to uh, get on a plane and to fly to Atlanta and not ride out the storm, not trust, you know the. Um, levies and everything else and there was only one problem even though New Orleans was under an evacuation order he was like the 100,000 other poorest people in the city had no money and his pride didn't allow him to admit that to his daughter and he never believed in plastic so he didn't have a credit card and it wasn't back in the day where you could just get a ticket online and have somebody else pay for it he did have some money but by that time the banks had closed and the storm is approaching and He wanted to fly to Atlanta, but he had no financial means to get them there, and he would not admit that to his daughter. And so when Katrina hit, he and his wife left their home, they went to the shelter, and after it passed, the authorities led him back in to the lower fifth ward to gather some belongings. Some of you went with me in 2008. We were still rebuilding homes in the lower fifth ward. And when they entered the house, the water was still knee high and he was determined to see what he could salvage. So he, he got inside the house and he saw, the only thing he saw worth keeping were a few family photos that were floating on top of the water. So he grabs them, he leaves they, uh, you know, paint the signs on the outside. and says, okay, it's been checked. No dead people in here. They get back to the shelter. No money in his pocket. No money in his pocket. Tears in his eyes. Sets down on the cot. Starts taking the uh, photos out of the frame so that they can dry on the cot that they sleep on. And when he removes his daddy's portrait, an envelope falls out of the back of the frame. And the envelope had $366. Now, the amazing thing was his daddy died in 1942 when he was just 12 years old. But all that time, the money was in the frame. Now, I don't see why you're not getting this because that is the definition of providence. That's the definition of God's providence. Providence means God has stored up in advance the very thing you need when you arrive there. If you don't go there, well, then I guess you didn't need it. So the the minister didn't know it was there. He didn't know how it got there, but he knew it was just enough for him and his wife to take a flight to their daughter in Atlanta. That is God's providence. That is God's provision. And uh, the greatest revelation I can give you today is this. God has already provided for what you need, even though you don't know it, even though you cannot see it. But if you step out and trust, then he always leads you to overflow. Not just enough, but so much more you can help others. We're doing a great work with the Word of God. It is going to magnify God's grace. And not only, you know, I'm going to show you what I call a one-sheet solution, 4,000 square feet of space that we need. But, you know, we've got the building fund is open. We have immediate needs. We need to we need to re we need to rebuild a sound booth for our live stream. Uh, we, uh, Lord willing, will get access to the entire building that we own in Copper Oaks. But we need to remodel that part of that building for the Spanish class and and for other things. I mean, we got things going on right now. Ways to get involved. Support the ministry that you yourself do here and that we do on your behalf toward others. Step out and trust. God will lead you to overflow. Every head bowed, every eye closed. One thing I know is that God will provide for you. And I know that because he provided Jesus Christ to die for your sins so that you could have eternal life. And then once you get saved, God doesn't want anything to stand in between you and him, in between you and hope, hope, in between you and growth, in between you and sanctification. He doesn't want anything to stand in between you and fruit, in between you and discipleship. And we don't have the problem necessarily exactly that Israel had in the time of Elijah with a multiplicity of idols no we have one god and even though our dollar bill says in god we trust really it's in that dollar bill we trust and that is our idol and god doesn't want that to come between you and him salvation is a free gift of god's grace i mean free gifts it's not Ceremonies, sacraments, or rituals, it doesn't matter denomination or what church you're a member of. It doesn't matter whether or not you've been baptized. It's a free gift of God's grace by your faith in Christ's finished work. And that means all you've got to do is pray. pray. Just pray with me right now. And just say, God, I believe on Jesus today for what he promised me. I believe on him for everlasting life. Just like this widow in Zarephath Didn't make sense. Totally counterintuitive. She believed the word of the prophet. I believe the word of Jesus. He says he will give me everlasting life. If I believe on him today, I believe. So I know that you give me that life. God, make me born again right now. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand with me, if you would, as we get ready for the praise team to send us out singing. If you trusted Jesus today, if you prayed that, come up right now or come up while we're singing or come up as soon as we get done. Let us know here at the front. I want to give you a copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. If you want to become a member of this church, if you want to get baptized on Super Bowl Sunday is our Super Sunday, we're going to do baptisms. If you want to get baptized, come up and talk to us. If you need to be prayed for or you want to be prayed with, then come up here to the front. We'd love to do that with you today.